While I'm living, thanks I'll be giving to the most high, you know. I am living while I'm living to the Father, I will pray. Only him know how we get through every day without the hike in the price on my leg we have to pay. While our leaders play. Hello people, my name is Patrick Rico Williams. Again, Patrick Rico Williams and I'm the host of Studoc Sales. Studoc Sales is a podcast created specifically to... Um, to kind of retake the narrative around immigration, uh, the goal of this is to, I'm recording this actually with two days left to, to, uh, before we actually have like this, <laughs> this election of our lives, right? So um, it's, it's right now it's uh, November 11th, 2020. Um, but again, uh, this is the continuation of a project that I started last year. Um, I am an author. Um, that's one of the, that's one of my identities, right? So, like, I am actually working on a P a book named uh, Immigrant. It's been something I've been working on for a while, and I wanted to create a companion piece for that project. Um, the reason I think this is important is I think it's important that we actually take back the narrative around immigration because the pervasive narrative is dangerous. The idea, the pervasive narrative that's been pushed by pushed by um, <laughs> pushed by a reality TV star who decided that his in his first major act he wanted to um he wanted to delegitimize a sitting president by saying that person was an immigrant and like by continuing to spew that narrative kind of is the starting place right so the idea of uh, at least with his immigration stance, right? The idea that um, Obama wasn't good enough to lead because he wasn't legitimate because he's not from here. And I think it kind of, he made the claims more ridiculous as we went on. And then, then it somewhat shifted off Obama to be around immigration in general, right? So the idea that um, immigrants come from shithole countries, the idea that um, Mexicans are coming over to like um, rape, pillage, and so on and so forth, as if that wasn't the entire history of American conquest. Um, these are things that have been. These are things that have been like, spouted, but also believed, and I think a part of why this has worked is, we've kind of created a divisive place where. The people don't talk anymore. The talk, people don't talk to each other anymore. So it's easy for you to talk and say X is a bad person. X does this. X does Y. X will build a wall, and we will build a wall, and X will pay for it. It's because based on how we are segregated now, which is funny, because we're actually more, in some senses, more segregated than we were before the 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 the, the acts were passed to like to to make to make segregation illegal, right? So um, the issue is because we are so segregated, like you can say whatever you want to about, about like a specific group because chances are those people won't meet and people will believe what you say because you are now the experts on that thing. And I think that's a very dangerous narrative. So for me, I think it's important that somebody who actually does have an immigration story, who actually is a part of the number of the maligned group um, to kind of share my stories, share stories around immigration as I see it um, to kind of, again, own our narrative and kind of like 
create a space where others can do it themselves because if we trust the current narrative it's trash and again it's dangerous and it puts us at risk and as we can see as we have seen um there is a because of the conversations and because of the 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 lies that have been told people have like armed themselves to hurt immigrants like to our people are desensitized when immigrants are like when the children of immigrants are like locked up in cages and now we're seeing a situation where a scenario where um there are now 500 families that like can't be reunited because they separated them at the border and now they can't trace back the families so like again these policies are incredibly disruptive and again they are they're they're just generally evil right so again this is a place or i'm hoping that this becomes a place where we can actually share stories and use immigration stories as points of connection versus points of division division right so like that's where i'm going with this um i am there has been a break between um, the first podcast and this one. Um, and while personally there's been a lot going on, um, I think it was also important for the break to occur because I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you, like I haven't really been doing, up until that point, and I'll explain it more in the piece I'm about to read, um, I'd known my story and I'd been like very proud of my story and so on and so forth, but I haven't really shared it as a means of, I haven't shared it in any real way, but also while I knew my story, I wasn't really as plugged into the stories of others. Like, so in the last couple of years, actually more, and recently in the last couple of months, like I've been doing more work than I've ever done around immigrant advocacy, right? So immigrant, like, <laughs> so I, and I think I'd always known that we were more alike than we were different, but it was just like trying to, it's funny because when you speak about immigration, black immigrants aren't the face that you typically see, right? So a lot of things aren't necessarily geared for us. A lot of services aren't necessarily geared for us um, because we're just not the prevailing narrative, right? So, but I actually live in a city right now where the majority of the immig- the biggest immigrant group is what are West Indians. So like the <laughs> Hartford is very different in that context than like a lot of other sanctuary cities like so um where a lot of our folks are black folks so we are and yes anti-blackness is everywhere but again we are tasked with dealing with like the immigration issues but also with general anti-blackness um and america is very interesting in how they've kind of doled that out over the years but anyway um (laughs) Uh, that was a huge digression, but I think it kind of like speaks to some of the, some of the point. I'm still working on the book. Um, I am closer to the ending. Uh, however, I have gained a lot of context in the last year or so around how other immigrants are faring in this country, in this city, and it's been it's been a lesson. Like you think you know something until you see it from somebody's somebody else's eyes. And I think, again, this is one of the reasons we're doing this to kind of like peel back the curtain and give you give p- 
people who are interested um a look behind the scenes so they don't have to listen to the narratives that are actually being spouted right so um that is what this is um pseudo and, oh, and also <laughs> stewed oxtails as i said in the first one it's um it's a play on words, but also if you know anything, uh, if, you, if you've been to a Jamaican restaurant, you'll know that like oxtail is one of the most pristine things that one can order. It's also, at this point, the most expensive. That's, I think it rivals fish. A snapper would be like one of the most expensive meals that you can order in a Jamaican restaurant. Um, and I've said this too. The thing is like, if you, I think oxtails are one of the, one of the greatest images of black resilience, right? So the general history of that and a lot of like black delicacies are, <laughs> they start because like those are the things that we had access to, right? So um, the people who own Captive Africans, they had first pick and they had like the prime cuts, they had the filet mignon and so on and so forth, right? We got we got the tail, and from the tail, because we are, we come from a wonderful tradition of and and just phenomenal ancestors of like just knowing how to take something deemed as bad and make it really good. Um, we have created and we've crafted something that is actually no oxtail might be the one of the most expensive things that you can actually purchase in the store. Um, because other cultures have kind of like gotten into it. I've gone into bodegas, um, and seeing them serving food with oxtails in it. So, um, I think if you ever question how amazing black folks are, that is the, one of the prime examples. We've taken something that was a throwaway and made it into like a prime cut of beef. Um, and that's just how to share brilliance. So yeah, um, I am back. Uh, actually, so the piece I'm going to share with you is um, one actually, so I originally decided that I was going to come back and like kind of revive this podcast in the last like week or so. Um, and I released an article on Medium um, called The Melting Pot Paradox, which was which I was honestly originally writing for this because I typically kind of like write and like share, I, I speak to you guys and I share a story. Um, I was writing it specifically for this, but then I shared it on Medium. Um, and I'd like to thank everybody who's been positive, who's like given feedback. And I love that there are people who are, who have, who have their own immigration stories who are like, who've reached out and are, we had like a good conversation kind of discussing like the, the places where our stories connect. Um, and people like of like different races as well too. Like the, it's, yes, it's my story. And I understand that it's not the story, but I understand also that like there are places where, we can have conversations around experiences and shared experiences. And I think that for me, the conversations that come from doing this work and like doing this podcast and writing these pieces, um, for me, it's important because again, it's, I'm using it as a point of, as, as points of connection. Um, so I'm going to share a piece. It's currently on medium. So like, I'm going to try to speak slow. I typically speak a little bit faster and I'm going to try, I've, I've been trying really hard to regulate it. But again, if you um, need to like kind of go back to this and kind of read it, you can always listen to it again if you wanted to. But it's also on Medium. Um, uh, if you go to like, uh, if you go to all my social media pages, um, you'll be able to find it. Also, 
For information about getting to me, um, it's patrickricowilliams.com. Again, patrickricowilliams.com, and it's Patrick with a K. Um, so I'm going to start it now. It's called The Melting Pot Paradox. I typically see two th- schools of thought regarding immigration. There's the melting pot theory that denotes everyone's contribution is taken in and all disparate pieces become one. The second is that of the salad bowl where we are all together and have united to become a larger thing, but we all maintain ownership of our individual characteristics, all of which adding necessary layers to the overall tapestry. The latter is the preferred mindset. It's a scenario that best describes the lives and migration patterns of people that have had to start over. We follow definitive migration roadmaps, flocking to the locales that our friends, family members, and ancestors first traversed. The salad bowl analogy best highlights this. America, and most other migratory ports, now boast several Chinatowns and little insert countries here. When leaving everything you know, it's best to stick with places where folks you you know have already started setting down roots. Jamaicans have largely settled in New York, South Florida, and Connecticut. When it was my turn to make my American pilgrimage, I had uncles living in each state. I was fortunate enough to be able to pick my destination. While we aspire to the salad bowl, in this context only, It's been sobering to discover how much of you melts away here. You make the leap, and what's never discussed is how life will undoubtedly continue to move on without you. A lot is made of surveying your prospects, packing your life into two suitcases and a parcel of hand luggage, the adventure you're about to partake in, creating a new life in a foreign land. We don't typically discuss what you're leaving and how easily that move can become permanent. The people, places, and things you'll probably never see again. You can't exist in two separate realities. Once you've committed to one, you've forfeited the other. I've never regretted moving. As a 15-year-old flown into a new existence, I didn't have the wherewithal to maintain connections with those I'd left. Today, I have no tangible friendships in the country of my birth. I'm cool with a few of my brother's friends, but did not mind to my own. My immigration story is laden with privilege and sacrifices that are not my own. I've often cited the Walter Littman quote in telling it. We sit in the shade of trees others have planted. This reality is twofold. I'm intimately aware that my status is a documented that my status is documented is as random as those who share the distinction of being undocumented. The benefits I'm afforded are arbitrary, to me at least. They were hard fought, but again, I didn't do the fighting. Which is why I've long maligned the argument that either existence carries any greater moral value. People are a sum of their experiences. At four, due to the maneuvering of my grandmother, I was afforded the ability to travel throughout the states frequently. My immediate family was granted resident alien cards, commonly referred to as green cards, and renewable every 10 years. This card is shockingly akin to freedom papers issued to former captive Africans who gained liberation from antebellum America in the way it allowed the cardholder to move from state to state, mostly unencumbered. Up to September 2020, immigrants in sanctuary cities were being advised to walk with their documentation in the midst of nationwide immigration and custom enforcement raids. In both scenarios, being caught sans freedom papers or green card spelled certain detainment, at the very least. The original goal of my August 1999 trip to Hartford, Connecticut, was to renew said green card. However, in a meeting with my then principal, we largely left with the feeling that continuing at this school wasn't an option. I transferred to that school only a year prior, and while I thought things were going well, my grades reflected an entirely different reality. So with the two days left before the flight, a new plan was drawn up. There was another conversation and I was asked to pick, and I was asked to pick which uncle I wanted to live with. 
With love to all involved at the time, Connecticut seemed less volatile. My brother just started his freshman year at Western University. I'm positive that also factored into the decision. I'm not sure if this is still common practice. As several immigration practices have shifted um, since the September 11 terrorist attack and the founding of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security in 2002. However, in the process of renewing my green card, I was instructed to surrender, surrender the expiring document and wait for the new one to be mailed. Somewhere in that transitional period, it became clear that my documentation was lost in America's care. The next 13 years were filled with speculation, accusations, trips to the Hartford Immigration Office, paperwork that didn't always quite feel official. As an example, I once traveled, I once traveled with a passport picture stapled to a postcard-sized piece of construction paper. That was it. I don't even remember what the name of that form was. And pointless interviews in, inter in airport interrogation rooms. Even after it successfully renewed again in 2009, the accusation levied on most flights back into the country was that I had somewhat created this new card. Being completely candid, my application for citizen wasn't filed out in any sense of fidelity to America. On the contrary, I just wanted, to I just wanted the interrogations to stop. One would think that these experiences would have led to life amplifying the voices of immigrants who haven't been as fortunate, not gifted with the ability to move around through America, Relatively unbothered, again, relative, I'm still black. Honestly, until the last few years, my advocacy has centered around youth development and blackness. There's privilege to not having to think about your immigration status, and a significant part of the melting of, is, of said responsibility occurs when my ties to this country, speaking solely from the immigration perspective, were no longer in question. I am one of the many who are apathetic, but shocking to action through the words and actions of Dr. Donald Trump. Seeing the narrative around us being shaped with malcontent, hearing the shithole country's narrative, the aforementioned ice raids, one day, it was clear to me that, while I'd always carried, while I'd always carried and displayed a strong sense of pride in my Jamaicanness, I'd never seen that identity as a tool for change or even connection. Like most of us, we'd become entrenched in the othering of another kind. I was still being adversely affected by public policy, being profiled, pulled over, and harassed, the only difference was that no one asked me my green card anymore. These past years were the first in which I had actively spent time working to use my story and that of others to take back the narrative around immigration. To honor the bravery of the many who had to start over, to walk a path they'd only heard about, the ones who'd heard that the streets were lined in gold, only to learn that redlining kept, out of, kept, us, kept us out of those neighborhoods. The ones who were tasked to prove their love constantly. My grandmother has uttered this quote consistently. Sometimes, you have to kiss ass before you can kick it. Watching people start from scratch and weather the storms that always come. The doctor whose certification doesn't matter here, who can only provide by driving a cab. Master electricians who are now driving trucks. The rebrand that is essentially a rite of passage. The melting that they are required to do to belong here. I rarely consider how much we've all melted, but these thoughts have built a fortress in front of my mind. How the years continue to tick off, and the home you knew intimately is now a place you visit, infrequently. How the distinction of being an immigrant means less with each passing year. How you've created an entire life in another place, at the expense of all you once knew. The emphasis on the last couple of years has been regaining parts of my, my identity I had so effortlessly traded for convenience considering key moments in my American story, how easily I took on an American accent in high school because I was tired of repeating myself. I remember Bojo, 
another Jamaican in my high school who donned the confidence to be himself in a country that aggressively seeks to break you. Confidence has always been an Achilles heel, but watching him exhibit that level of freedom is inspiring. Sadly, that revelation hit me when it was too late to thank him. I'm writing this in part because I'd spent the last few decades working to be the person I needed while growing up. I was introduced to a middle school student who'd recently emigrated from Jamaica. The introduction was made because this was also a part of my story. I'd spent so much time working to create equitable educational experiences that at times I'd lost sight of what led me to it. I've lost sight of parts of me and the goal now is reconnecting. Again, this is Patrick Rico Williams and that was an excerpt from the book um, Immigrant coming when I finish it. Um, but yeah, um, please feel free if you have any questions or concerns to reach out. Um, questions, concerns, or just feedback. Um, I'd, like, I'd love to hear from you guys. If, you, if you'd like to connect, um, uh, go to PatrickRicoWilliams.com. Again, PatrickRicoWilliams.com. That is going to be a hub that connects you to like pretty much all of the things I'm doing, whether it be events or um, photography or um, just information about the book. Pretty much if you want. And actually, and like links to like all my social media and stuff. So if you want to contact me um, or book me or whatever it is, like just reach out, um, feel free. I'm encouraging you as we end this to vote. Um, and I know some of you guys are going to hear this like, I know a lot of us have voted early, so that's great. Um, and I think speaking as someone who... Um, is in a better place now, but has been maligned by policies around immigration. Um, it's important that we pick somebody who who sees immigrants as an asset, right? Um, versus somebody who has famously come in and planted division, planted the seeds of just general hatred. I think it's important that we vote not just for ourselves, but we vote for people who, although they're in this country working, although they're in this country like helping to create, playing a part in this American experiment, um, they don't really have a say for what happens because they don't have a vote. They don't have, they're not able to participate in this, in this way. Uh, and I'm not, and I'm asking you to vote, but I'm also asking you to continue to agitate in the words of Frederick, the late Frederick Douglass, like the voting isn't the only thing. Like, again, it's not, I think anybody who will spout to you that you should vote and vote alone is being disingenuous. Um, we need to vote. We need to show up. We need to um, <laughs> more specifically vote locally and like hold our local people accountable. Because again, if we're doing that, the trickle trickle down economics is trash, and we've seen that, right? But I do believe that, like, if we do what we're supposed to be doing as a public, um, we can trickle a new conscience up, right? Because again, typically the people at the bottom are the ones who are most intimately affected by shifting policies and so on and so forth. And I think it is in our best interest to listen to the voices that aren't typically heard, to center the voices that aren't typically heard. That is the voices of immigrant vote, the voices of like um, black folks in general, women, like just all <laughs> um, LGBT, like just pretty much all malign groups. And we know who those people are. It's the people who don't typically, 
who aren't typically seen in the halls of power. And I think if we do what we're supposed to be doing as far as like engaging and engaging politically, we have an opportunity to kind of like shake up the room and put these people and these voices in the places where they need to be. So I'm asking you, and a lot of you are, have, have already voted, but if you're on the fence, just like have a gut check conversation. And I'm saying this understanding that like there aren't many people on the fence. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, um, but if you are, um, yes, you're voting for the things that you think are important, but also you are voting for the future. So I'm asking you, please take this seriously and go to the polls, be safe. Um, and yeah, thank you for checking this out. Um, this, the next one will become a lot sooner than the break from the first one. But again, um, thanks for your time. Appreciate you. Be safe.